Hey everyone, thanks for stopping by. Today I'm joined by a very special guest, Leslie Powers, who is a clinical psychologist of many years. In this episode, we're going to be getting into the mechanics of healing through therapy, what healing actually is, what trauma is, and how natural law can relate to the healing process. That's coming up next. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Wizard Factory podcast for another episode where together we explore the universe through ourselves. My name is Logan Hart. If you're new here and not a subscriber, please subscribe down below and hit that bell so you never miss a new video. I'm joined today by the lovely Leslie Powers, who is a clinical social worker, a martial artist, a nature lover, presenter, and student of natural law. It's a pleasure to have you here. I'm very excited for our conversation today. Welcome, Leslie. Thanks, Logan. I'm really happy to be here. Great. It's an honor. So I'd love to start off by just talking a bit about you. Um, how did you sort of get into that line of work of healing and specifically from a, a professional level? But where did that all begin for you? Hmm, good question. So I would say from the professional inspiration started in like a 10th grade psychology course. I had a good teacher and it just um, became clear, like it was like a calling to study more around psychology. And I was always interested in philosophy as well and had a lot of deep thoughts as a kid. And I think a big part of it, a lot of people go into this field um, like because of this desire to like want to help everybody or they come from their own trauma. I, I probably came more from, I really was curious. I wanted to understand um, about life. I wanted to understand about people and why things are the way they are. And I care about, you know, people and the planet and want to help. But it's been a process of um, expanding my, my understanding of life. And so I went into, um, you know, I did my undergraduate in psychology and then I got a master's in social work and just sort of jumped into the field and did a whole lot of diverse jobs. And then um, most, you know, in the last 12, 14 years, I've been doing psychotherapy, you know, mental health counseling, working with people with trauma. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So you've really gotten to see from the ground level sort of what works what gets results and that's extremely important i think because these days there's there's so much talk about healing but a lot of it just seems like hot air to me and that there people are, we're, we're just talking about healing and it's it's all yeah. great but i don't know that there's that much healing actually happening especially when yeah. you look at people's behavior and see how often people are acting out of unconscious trauma and doing you know less than ideal things and how, how they treat treat each other yeah. and things like that so yeah totally great observation you know and I I was just I also do some clinical supervision and I was just saying to someone today you know that we have to get out of the intellectual understanding of things you mm -hmm. know, there's information everywhere people can read all sorts of things 
But that isn't what creates the healing. The healing is very much an experiential process. And most people avoid that. Most people avoid doing the work that is really required to heal from traumas. Because um, it's scary. It's hard. And they don't know how. It's not taught. It's not something that we learn about. That's a huge one right there, too. It can feel extremely overwhelming. Um, first of all, to, to be honest with yourself, you have to recognize there's, there's just a lot of work involved. It's not just like you, you do one ayahuasca retreat or something like that, and then you're all good. Like, really, I view it as a lifelong practice. I mean, it's like a lifestyle that you're always, if you're not working on deep stuff, there's at least even that maintenance level of just how much yes. bullshit that we're constantly being subjected to that is trauma-based mind control on a daily basis. So just to keep, you know, like break even, you got to make healing a part of your daily practice. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I like that. I, that, that you can clear a lot of trauma, especially, you know, the big trauma, you can do some work that clears a lot of that, but there's a lot of maintenance work. You have to be vigilant to keep uh, the habits of wellness going and the men and the awareness, the self uh, reflection, and, you know, our bodies and minds are so interconnected. It's all one, right? They're not really separate. So we're being bombarded with all sorts of uh, pollution mm -hmm. uh, from the outside that's definitely going to impact how we feel mentally and physically and spiritually. Right. Yeah. So, so you kind of got the spark when you were in college. You had a good professor and that, that sort of... In high school, actually, oh, yeah. 10th grade. Right, right. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and that sort of inspired you. And so you you dove into the sort of academic side, right? And you did pursue that like, mm -hmm. from a professional, like a degree level. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would be interested to hear how much of that you ended up having to unlearn when you started mm -hmm. actually working and trying to help people and seeing what sounds good on paper versus what is actually not only uh, useful and practical, but also that aligns with a more holistic perspective and not just prescribing, you know, uh, pills mm -hmm. and, and that sort of thing. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I'll start by saying um, I had one particularly good professor who refused to teach the DSM-3 at the time, which is the diagnostic manual. And a lot of the students in the class were getting really upset. Like, we have to learn the diagnostic manual. How are we going to work if we don't know? And he was like, you know, you're going to learn it on the job. That's just something you got to do to pay insurance, right? <laughs> but that's not what's helping you to help people, you know. And he brought it down to principles of understanding a person in a situation and to understand their locus of control or do they have and a sense of being that their control and, and their solutions to problems comes from within, or does it come from, you know, something outside of themselves? And so those were the, that's where I was like, yeah, that's it, right? So I that's about the only thing I remember <laughs> of real use mm. from my graduate program. And, you know, I mean, there might be some other minor things, but that was the main thing was this guy who's talking about really looking at, you know, people in situations and, and, uh, and so I, 
as so I feel like most of my learning has been through the experiential world, right? You know, in a lot of settings. And I've worked in agencies most of my career. And that means these nonprofit, most of them, not all, but government, ultimately, these are the, the agencies that the government is uh, funding to, you know, help people. And what I come to see is it feels like, you know, we're just another cul-de-sac. Right. Mm. Because the, you know, the system, the government, the culture we're in is sort of creating so many mental health problems, so many all types of health problems. And then they of a department or put in some money to find therapists or social workers to just just work with effects. Right. It's pretty much all effects oriented that's not addressing real causes. Um, in a, you know, some therapies do get to that, but that didn't come to me really through my, um, I wouldn't say really through my education, you know, in mainstream college. Um, it helped to understand human, like learning theory. That was what, like one of the things in my high school that he taught us was about, you know, learning how do how do people learn so there was the pavlov dogs and the you know the classical conditioning which was a relevant very important concept that that does apply to what we're experiencing in today's world and the skinnerian learning theory of you know you know you push the the mice pushes the the lever and he gets a pellet right so in a way you know that is helping to understand a lot of this conditioning and mind control that's happening in the world when you look back to that. Um, but natural, you know, natural law and the occult, you know, is not at all addressed, you know, in mainstream education. True. <clears throat> I find that fascinating that the, the thing you actually remember from school was the one thing that was kind of going against the grain and saying, mm -hmm. yeah, we're not going to do it that way. This is, this is what's actually useful. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So how would you summarize your method or your technique when it comes to say you get a new patient, you clean slate, and what are the steps that you go through to kind of get to the root of the problem and then how to actually shift that. Right. When people step into, you know, asking for help, they tend to be a, t a bit scared, you know, nervous, apprehensive, unsure, you know, even those that have been therapized a lot, you know, because there is, you know, a foundation of healing through, you know, counseling is that relationship and the sense of safety because mm -hmm. we're, we're all very well defended you know, and we come in with our defenses. So that first step is, is building a relationship, a connection, you know, to create a sense of safety, allow that person to feel safe. And then we, we start doing, what we, you know, an assessment, you know, looking at their life, looking at their patterns, identifying this, what the symptoms are, you know, Mm -hmm. Usually they're coming in with symptoms. So we identify those symptoms and the problems that, that that's creating in their lives because that creates motivation. You know, there's a, they're motivated for change or they wouldn't be showing up. 
And be, that's because there's a pain point. There's, there's pain happening. And from that pain comes a desire to alleviate that suffering. And that's motivation. So that's an important aspect. And sometimes stepping into the process of like self-discovery is, is painful. It's hard. So I, I, after, you know, doing some assessment and getting a sense of what the, the heart of the matter is, I will usually help people, I'll assess their skill level, like what kind of self skills do they have to regulate distress, to, you know, to um, tolerate, you know, what's their distress tolerance level, how much insight do they have, how, um, how much do they know themselves? How super, where is that locus of control? Is it, do they feel like a victim? Are they, or not, or are they feeling empowered in the world? And, and depending on what, you know, I tend to be pretty person-centered and where they, you know, I'm not gonna go where they're not, where they don't wanna go, mm. right? But I certainly will guide them in a direction that I um, know will help get to the heart of the matter. I don't like to stay in the superficialities, you know, and I am trained in EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. I help, I help the, a person to identify their goals, to, to decide what it is they want to focus on, what they want better in their lives. We work on, I'm pretty, I get solution focused and task centered. I like for people to have kind of concrete things to practice and do and work on because there's a lot of skills, you know, that in, enhance our self, our mastery of ourselves. Mm. you know, and have the tolerance to be able to, to face the, the painful things. And there's a lot of reflection, you know, going on where I'm, you know, going to be sort of reflecting back what I observe, what I see, what they say, you know, and how they present. And there's, you know, my style is, is very nurturing, but yet, you know, I, I, I nurture and then I address the issue, you know, directly. And, you know, it's, kind of a back and forth thing. Um, I sometimes, you know, we address specific traumas. I can use EMDR, some other approaches for that. I like to, you know, teach people, um, you know, a lot of mindfulness skills and um, grounding and ability to be able to, because that builds confidence. If they know that when they're getting uh, triggered, that they can regulate themselves, then you know, that builds confidence that allows us to go to the next step. There's because we, there's a lot of defenses. So identifying the defenses that happen and help to neutralize them so that we can actually get to the wound and, and do the real healing. Hmm. That's very interesting. It's complicated. It's hard to summarize, right? Because it's a lot of things. Right. So again, it's safe to say you, you can't expect to just uh, fix everything in one session. It takes a long time. No. You build rapport with this person. You build safety. Because, I mean, thinking about it, most people don't even have that safety within themselves, let alone another person. So that that in itself has to be quite a a, a large task there. So, and it, it's really from what I'm getting from what you're saying, it's it's more just about kind of teaching them tools to change how they're responding to things because. Heart. Okay. 
Well, okay. I would say that's like, that's one part of the work where we're gain, helping them to gain insight and to have tools to master, you know, their their state, you know, change state tools. So if you're starting to panic, how do you regulate yourself, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then, but that I feel like is just the setting the stage to be able to almost tolerate the, the real difficult stuff that's being avoided. So I'm, I'm gonna check out where they're at and then I'm gonna try to enhance that so they're functioning and then build their, their awareness and insight about their their like psychological anatomy I, or you know to map their psychology to understand their coping mechanisms and the the defenses and the way they've compartmentalized themselves you know because when we we go through trauma and the trauma could be an acute kind of clear like i got into a car accident or i was abused physically or sexually or emotionally or whatever mm -hmm. and so we can identify those easily but there's a lot of things that are traumatic that are about repetition and um just creating high stress levels and and what becomes traumatizing is pretty uh subjective and some people could have two people could have the same event and one have real severe kind of trauma reactions and the other not. And the more that people are subjected to the like smaller traumas that are repetitive and chronic, chronic stress, and you know, the, the way that basically we're all living our lives here in the United States, mm -hmm. you know, it's making it um, their tolerance, like if a big trauma hits, then it can uh, be more detrimental, it can cause more problems. You know, so the people, you know, who've had a lot of abuse in their life, you know, they get, they, they, they start to crack a bit. They're, you know, those defenses don't work and they're not able to stay in a psychological, like, window of tolerance of their emotions getting triggered up and down. And so if somebody's in that state, you know, you really work on helping them to be able to be in a window of tolerance and to make, make friends with themselves and their own mm. bodies and, learn how to feel safe and all of that. But, you know, there's a point where to some degree, you know, there's a clearing that needs to happen of the stuckness, the trauma that gets stuck in our systems, which I it gets stuck in our bodies. Mm -hmm. And as I'm learning more and more in your energetic body and, and it, it can affect our thoughts, you know, based on, you know, what, we are fear, you know. So if someone learns that the world is unsafe, that's going, you know, if that's their script, that's they're going to respond to things differently than someone who feels that the world is generally safe, you know. Right. So it's like you're saying that first you build the safety, then you kind of give them give them some tools to help them a little bit with kind of self-stability. And that's going to give them the fortitude to then finally start getting in there and kind of digging in the dirt and getting into the roots yeah. and everything like that. Is that, yeah. is that accurate? Yeah, that's a good summary. That's so a good summary. Thank you have you to kind of, yeah, no, it's fascinating. <laughs> I love this. And I, I've never really learned much about the process of clinical psychology versus like I said, things like plant medicine, meditation, you know, these other kind of modalities that are more of a self-help kind of uh, 
I don't even know what the word is. What you're doing is dealing directly with the person and their mind. You're not relying on a chemical to change the, you know, the structure of their brain or something like that. You're actually using words to explore the different neural pathways and figure out where they lead back to until you're getting to the root of it. Yeah. And I'll just add the part about um, even with the interconnect doing there's teletherapies become huge, right? And it's not as optimal as being in the same room with someone, but it, but it's better than being on the phone. Sure. And you know what I mean? So the more that we're able to sort of be in an energetic connection, that connection also has healing to it. So there's something healing about being witnessed, being validated, being seen, um, being understood, being loved, being accepted, being loved. Like, you know, pe people come in with deep sh things, <laughs> things they're deeply shamed about. Right. Very, a lot of shame. And that is what they don't want to be that to be seen because their self identity part of their identity is about that shame. And and so that's why that safety is important, because, you know, they can start to reveal and step into that and know that they're like accepted um, through it, through the process of transformation and change. That's so fascinating. It's reminding me of, uh, I, I've been kind of digging a little bit into Wim Hof, if you're familiar with him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, it's reminding me of what he's describing when he does these retreats and stuff. I think a lot of people miss this. They think about the breathing or the, you know, the ice baths and stuff like that. But he talks about the human family, essentially, and how yeah. it's about loving each other and saying, we're in this together. And it, mm -hmm. it just breaks my heart to think about because that is the connection that we've lost in this modern society. Yeah. We're so disconnected and, and operating as strangers for the most part, especially yeah. just out Covering and about. Covering faces, oh. you know. Yeah, that's even worse. Right? I mean, even missing, you, you can't fully even interpret another person without seeing all the muscles in their face like it gives you information and mm. connection you know to con to see each other to, to have eye contact to um you know the presence of people coming together being together is really powerful and you know this whole internet thing is 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 it's okay but it doesn't have the same power you know people coming together Right. You know, but it can be a catalyst for that, but it's not that thing in and of itself. It's not, it's not a replacement. Right. Right. You know, it's kind of like, you know, thinking that, you know, a child doesn't need to be held. Right. You know, to stick the bottle in their mouth. Right. You don't, that they don't have to see mom's eyes and, you know, look at gaze at each other. That's so true. So what is healing to you? How would you define that? Healing. It's like finding yourself, <laughs> you know? It's like like reconnecting with who you really are, mm. with your true self, the self that we're that never leaves us. You know, that that's 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 connected to source and that is um 
you know, and I think healing is also about self-love, loving oneself and, and knowing oneself, right? So healing really involves self-reflection and being self-responsible, being able to understand how you operate and then to develop, you know, relationships, right? To have meaningful connections with other people, to have a creative, you know, the ability that you're expressing your creative energy, that you are, um, you know, stepping into the world fully as you, you know, because, you know, and, and a lot of people don't know, you know, we have to like, like excavate ourselves out of all the the crap that's on on top of us and the scar tissue and all of that to to find out who we are and our connection to source and our ultimate infinite possibility as a human right yeah it it reminds me of how the the word heal it, it comes from the germanic word meaning whole heal and whole are the same word so when you're yeah. unhealed you're broken that's why people say that but that really means i mean when you study especially like the mk ultra and, and the trauma mm -hmm. that kind of stuff it literally breaks your psyche into pieces like uh, fractured yes. yes and so to heal you're becoming whole again with yourself you're one with yourself you're not at odds with yourself you're not at war with yourself and you're loving yeah. yourself because love and its essence is about that oneness, that connection, that coming back together, bringing those broken pieces back and in, in integrating. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And, and, it, and so the brain, the brain science, you know, seems to be validating that definition. Hmm. And when what, what happens with trauma is that we start to compartmentalize yes. within our own mind. Like the Titanic. So if you, mm -hmm. <laughs> if you've had like a terrible thing happen to you, you know, our bodies adapt in an amazing way, but the adaptations do things like dissociate from it, you know, bury it, you know, numb yourself to it. And that's necessary so that we can get up and go to work or, you know, do what we need to do in our lives. And so over and over and over, we're creating you know, more and more separation within right. ourselves to compensate for the lack of, of fully, he, you know, healing those wounds. And, you know, it is, there's therapies um, that are really about like I, identifying the parts of us and then, and then getting to know those parts and why they were created. What's the, the, the wound that they're protecting you from? Because all of those compartments are meant to protect you because you feeling threatened, uh, have been, have been wound, hurt in some way. So yes, it is about becoming whole through knowing, can, reconnecting those parts, having them know about each other, work with each other, um, be modulated to a place that isn't like extreme and it's, you know, like an addiction, for example. Mm. Right, because what is that but an attempt to connect with something in place of yourself? It's like a proxy connection. 
but that thing can't love you. In fact, it's almost always some sort of self-destructive behavior because you, you're, it's, it's coming from that unhealed place. It's not true connection. It's a substitute. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. that separation that you were, that you were talking about there, it's like a temporary solution to the pain, to the wounding. It's not meant mm -hmm. to be lived in, in per perpetuity. It's like a, let's slap a tourniquet on it right quick in an emergency situation and I'll deal with it later. But then we never do. Yeah. And then we just keep yeah. adding and compounding it instead. Yeah, it's, it's fairly superficial. So you're just getting the flames that are coming out the windows, but you're not putting out the fire mm. that's inside the house. It's you know? a great analogy. Mm -hmm. So then what is it that constitutes trauma? Because as you were saying before, we were discussing that you said the same person or two people can have the same experience mm -hmm. and one person mm -hmm. have trauma and the other one not. So that's very interesting because it's not solely reliant on the experience itself, but also the person. Yeah. So it's defined um, technically as an experience that you feel that your life is being threatened or someone you love their life. Like there's a sense of impending death and destruction of self on some level and that, and, or it's an experience that's just outside of your ability to, to tolerate or comprehend. Mm. Right. It's, and that it becomes like so shocking and disrupting to your sense of self and safety in the world that your system kind of doesn't know what to do with it, right? And it goes into this defensive protective mode. So, you know, the fight, flight, freeze, fawn, bodies try to adapt to defend and protect ourselves. So it's the self-defense principle kind of wired into our body, and but it's unconscious. And, and, and so like, for example, in Monarch Mind Control or, you know, MKUltra or whatever, they're bombarding, you know, people with so many horrific things, often at the same time, and confusing their reality to the place where, you know, they, they don't know what's up, what's up or down, right? And, um, and so I think in a lot of ways, you know, we can look at our normal life and see different ways that we are, we're, we're stressed to the max, like we're pushed beyond our capacity to, to really properly uh, process emotion or take care of our bodies, you know, and over time it wears us down. It, it it wears our, our nervous system down. And the more that we're like bombarded and bombarded and bombarded, that in itself kind of um, becomes a, a, a trauma in itself. I, I think that's, I see it that way. I felt that from in my own life. Yeah, I've heard it called like complex PTSD because it's sort of compounding and building on top of itself. Yeah. And a lot of the complex trauma, you know, and the folks that I've worked with, they've had, you know, let's say poverty, 
alcoholic parents, abandonment by parents, physical abuse, sexual abuse, berating, you know, emotional abuse, mm. um, being left without, you know, any real parenting and they got to figure it out and take care of their sibling too. And then they're responsible for everything. Like that's very common for a lot of people, those one or many multiple of those. And then, you know, you go through the school system and then you might have a learning disability and you're called stupid or you get bullied or you fail or whatever, you know, like life becomes very complex and affects our psyches. Absolutely. I think it's really interesting. You use the word process and comprehend. Those are words that stood out to me when you were describing that, because I think that's really what it is, is like you said, the same event can happen. It's about, can you process it in a way that is healthy and uh, truthful, I would say, is, is important too, because that's kind of what that does when you think of mental illness. It usually comes from a form of trauma most of the time, and it is disruptive of that person's sense of reality. So it, it warped them in some kind of way. It's almost like trying to feed too much information through your brain to the speed that it can't process. So it, it warps the reality there. That's why. Yeah. Kinda, I was just thinking of the, like an electrical current that gets overloaded and it just sort of like explodes or something. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's because it's all energy, right? It's energy that is being kind of moved through, uh, through, a person's experience in this uh, context. And, or get stuck, right? It can get stuck and buried. That's true too. And, and, and when you're constantly facing multiple traumas, it's going to get deep, deep, more, more and more deeply stuck and you're compartmentalizing more and more. And there's also like, you know, what, what is the context? What is the social support around an experience? So, and you could have, let's say, for example, I was just the idea the thought came to me of like the sun dancers, right? These are these guys that are like not eating and not drinking and they're enduring physical pain, but they're there in um, a context that is very, they're kind of heroic, you know, they're, um, that would probably not be a traumatic experience. It would be like a something that was amazing that they they did you overcame but you, you if you did that to a little kid you know in in a dark room with electric currents or i don't know like something like that in a different context it's traumatic mm. and so a lot of it has to do with are you is it something that you're doing um you know how is it related to your community to the purpose are you supported? Are you loved? Um, so that's a piece of it. The other thing that affects trauma is is the early relationships. So their attachment, the qualities of their attachment to other to their caregivers, and and that sets the stage for the relationship for in the, all their life. And so people who are most vulnerable are the people that that had insecure attachments in their early relationships. So they had caregivers that weren't consistent 
or they were, you know, not present, they're depressed, they're abusive, they're alcoholic, whatever, you know, there's lots of things, or they gave mixed messages, you know, they loved you and took care of you, but then they molested you, you know, that's going to set a stage for um, a really big disruption in relationships. Mm. Um, so there's a lot, and our ment so the mental, kind of back to the Sundance, it's, how are we viewing? What is the, the the mind, the mental framework of what's happening to us? Exactly. That can make it. And that's only as good as your ability to discern and process, like you said, and to comprehend. That's why certain things could be perceived or and and actually constitute trauma, say for a child. It's often the case because children don't have that yet. They don't fully understand the world. They don't fully understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. And something might actually have been relatively benign, but because mm -hmm. of their inability to fully process and comprehend that experience, it created a trauma. And then it just carried on yeah. into their adult life because they never had the tools to actually just go back and reframe like you said process it, you know reframe and then process it with the new true more true and realistic uh, understanding of it yeah so think of a, a child very egocentric just by the way their physiology is made and so at things that happen things they experience that their parents do that adults do they in take the, it in, personally in environment yeah it becomes about them so mom and dad are fighting and, you know, they're ignoring the child or and then they snap at the child, you know, because they're upset. That child usually will interpret that as something wrong with them, that it's their fault, right? Mm. And unless the parent is kind of attuned enough to reassure the child that it's not about them and give them the nurturing and the love and, you know, compensate for that stress with positive connection you know, that child could grow up with this negative script about themselves being, you know, um, the cause of problems, you know, of, of other people's problems, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, as we were discussing, it shows up a lot in, in interpersonal relationships, because as a child, mm -hmm. you're in those formative years, your brain is developing, everything that happens is going to have a, a large impact on how you're able to process and comprehend the world and specifically in relationships because that's usually how trauma comes about and in mm -hmm. especially true of you know when they say most crimes are committed by people you know especially true of children because they're they're a little bit more guarded there's a smaller circle that even has access to that child to the degree of impact. And so it's usually people that are like the closest, their parents, you know, siblings, things like that, that are building yeah. set, like you said, setting the stage. So these are the people that are supposed to be teaching them what love is, teaching them what safety is, and they're, they're exhibiting abuse in the place of that. So then they're going to associate, that's what love is. And then that's why people become addicted mm -hmm. to drama because as mm -hmm. crazy as that sounds, that's what they feel safe with because that was the, yeah. the norm. The familiar, right. the familiar place. Yeah. And I think that um, children will 
act out, right? They're sort of the the expressor, you know, they symptomize the problems of their family, their parents, the world, right? It's, and yet we're not really addressing the underlying root causes and the systems and, you know, helping um, really get to the heart of the matter. Like, you know, I mean, you look at the government's answers, it's none of it is, they're perpetuating the trauma and they're, they're putting band-aids on to keep us distracted, you know, out here in the, the land of effects and putting money into like a child getting therapy in school or something when that's, you know, that's not really true healing. That's not, you know, we need to heal the the families, the the community, the the world, you know, in other ways. But the individual work matters at the same time. Like it's 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 also the answer is all of us doing our work. Right. So how would you compare in terms of uh, effectiveness and importance, maybe uh, between those sort of self healing? modalities such as plant medicines and meditation and um, I don't know, breath work, you know, some of those kind of uh, versus what you practice. Where's the place for those things in the grand scheme of things? Yeah. I, don't know, I think of it like each one is, is maybe a petal on a flower, right? Hmm. And the flower is hmm. the whole thing. Um, I don't think any one thing is the answer. I think a holistic approach, you know, um, and and it's individual what kind of resonates with an individual, you know, in terms of some of those alternative what what you might what people call alternative modalities, and you know, and I've worked in medical settings, and I've I've seen even though I'm not I, I understand the the whole downside of a little, this pharmaceutical world, there I have seen times when that use of a psychotropic medicine has helped a person to be able to do the work that they need to do right so it's not black and white right and that and that's and meant to be a, not every a stepping stone it's not like you just well once you're on this drug then you're you're fine and you just keep taking it for the rest of your life it's meant to be yeah. a tool that you can use till you get where you want to be and then you don't need it anymore you know, and in collaboration with other, other deeper, you know, means of healing. Um, and, you know, people need to use discernment about what they do. You know, not everyone should go just do an ayahuasca journey, you know, because not everybody's going to have the capacity to, to handle mm -hmm. that. Just setting themselves up for a and new trauma. <laughs> possibly. Yeah. You know, that having guides or some, again, I, I want to emphasize the importance of connection with people. And that really is one of the biggest healing modalities. You know, the people, most of the people I work with are extremely painfully lonely mm. and isolated. Yeah. And the, the world, the way it's been going is encouraging that isolation. And people could have all the material goods in the world and be pretty miserable in their isolation and and it's also self-inflicted where i i've talked to people where they are so alone and yet they're so afraid they've been 
had their experiences in their life that have led to them feeling so distrustful and so afraid of other people that they won't step into any type of community um, support system. And I think that's really sad because I think that one of the answers is really developing real health, real communities again, mm -hmm. you know, and that and and being able to face your fears around connection and push through the the loss of trust. You know, um, I think we all like even in in the freedom community, and you know, we we could do better. I think at connecting and trusting each other and developing those networks of support. We are not meant to be operating in isolation. Yeah, couldn't agree we, more. We need We're highly mm -hmm. social beings and uh, love is such a powerful force in general. And you can't, I mean, you can have self-love, but that only takes you so far. And I think you're not completely in, I don't know, like like an ideal or a max. You're not maximizing your potential if you're not stepping into that realm out of fear of being hurt or that sort of thing. It it kind of reminded yeah. me when you were talking about that of another thing that's not necessarily black and white when it comes to being in a like a romantic relationship because you hear mm -hmm. people say you know you need to be alone on your own first if you're i don't know there's no one way to approach it but i guess the what i'm trying to say is um there can be great healing in that sort of a partnership as long as you're being very uh emotionally responsible and you're not projecting all that on them you're not expecting them to be your savior or your therapist or anything you're carrying your own weight in that dynamic i do believe that mm -hmm. if you're fortunate enough to to manifest that that can be incredibly healing to find a, that kind of partner that will show you what love can be and that it can be safe and you know even going deeper into like the sexual domain especially for those who have sexual trauma mm -hmm. that can go really deep and far there but again it has to be yeah the right circumstances and oftentimes it's, it's it's not because like i said they're they're projecting they're blaming and pushing that yeah. person away yeah yeah there is a, a great opportunity for healing in healthy relationships in and for that to happen the individuals need to be whole you know as whole as possible right like you work on yourself mm -hmm. to know yourself enough to be self-resourcing right whole in yourself so that then then two people relatively whole in themselves can come together and then you face like it, relationships are the best way to see your stuff anything that you haven't healed like a mirror and that you're hung up yeah are gonna it's gonna get brought up in relationships and so mm -hmm. there's uh you know when you get to that place of tension and conflict and your stuff and then you don't see your stuff and right it can get so mucky and difficult and then you know then kind of good to just sort of take a step back come back to yourself and know thyself and understand the patterns of dynamic interaction between people you know the pattern recognition again you know is so important on the level of you know partnerships totally yeah. Love it. So 
Um, you mentioned when we were uh, preparing for this interview how understanding natural law principles can really help guide us towards optimal mental health. I'd love to hear more about that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that I've been thinking about um, in a number of different ways, but one way is like looking at the hermetic principles and looking at those principles as guides to, well, understanding the universe, right, of which we are a part. And so we, if, if, if mentalism you know, is a principle, Mm. then healing will include a mental component in understanding all the aspects of the power of the mind, you know, the the thought emotion. So mentalism, thoughts and emotions and the power of our mind. So a huge way of healing is through cognitive restructuring, cognitive, you know, looking at your thoughts, the power of our thoughts. You know, and so and and being maintaining good thoughts, right? Understanding the power of the word, um, the importance of emotional uh, clearing and things like that. You know, you look at the concept of vibration and then, you know, it brings me to all this this new, you know, not new. It's ancient, but becoming more acknowledged now around energy healing and sound and that we are energetic beings and emotion is energetic thoughts are energetic there's magnetism you know so understanding those principles we're going to start to understand ourselves you know which is the principle of correspondence sure. so you know right so these aspects of you know the hermetic principles i think give us a guide you know rhythm if you know you're not sleeping you know if your sleep cycle's all whacked Part of it, one thing you can do is you can, you know, create a, a rhythm of your sleep cycle. You can work on raising vibrations through clearing out blockages energetically. You can do state change activities to shift your emotion from fear to to um, confidence. And there's a lot of, of wisdom that we can take that'll lead to practical actions, mm. you know, and to maintain our health and wellness and to bring it back into balance. The, the gender principle I think of as the the balanced brain, the masculine and feminine, you know, uh, there's, there's a whole lot there. Polarities, you know, we often, our thinking becomes really polarized. And then, you know, in, there's a concept of the wise mind, which is sort of the idea of you know, you're not all emotional and you're not all intellectual, but there's an overlap in the middle where the wisdom is. You can, you can die, you can sort of do states. You can, so if you're like really in the polarity of fatigue, right, then, you know, you might decide that what I need is I need to do something energizing. I'm going to play energizing music. I'm going to dance to it. You know, it can be a bit prescriptive looking at those. Um, and so that's one aspect of how I think of how natural law can help us to heal. And then I think nature itself, you know, Mm. observing nature and And being in nature. Yeah, being in nature, being present, you know, in nature and connecting. Again, like feeling our connection in a deep way to, you know, the natural uh, entities around us and their, Mm. you know, their energy, their spirit. Totally. I think also being alone in nature and being okay with that, that probably Mm -hmm. terrifies a lot of people too, because there's no distractions. There's no 
no one else there to blame or project on. It's just you and you together, you know, having it yeah. out and figuring your shit out. Deeply yeah. profound. Yeah. And and I think a lot of people don't like being alone or in silence right. at all. You know, because that's when the thoughts start rolling up. The, you know, the discomfort, the restlessness, the negative thoughts, the memories. A lot of people are, are on the run from that stuff. You know. Exactly. And often the, mm -hmm. the biggest healing and growth is just on the other side of your fears. So there, there's a reason you feel that way. But rather than avoidance, we need to be going head first into, mm -hmm. into our yeah. shit, you know? Step, step into the shadow, step, step into the fear, you know? And um, so we need to be, do what we need to do to prepare ourselves to be able to do that, right? Yeah. And stay present. Yeah. Be okay, not being okay. Mm hmm. Yep. Great I recognize stuff. we all have stuff, right? We all have things to heal and it it's a process. And when you can come to a place, I think another part of healing is is is, is compassion for oneself. Mm. It's accepting oneself and one's imperfections, accepting Your feelings. and loving oneself despite yeah, loving all the feelings, not just thinking you gotta be in the high vibration feelings, but all feelings. Right. And and accepting, you know, the mistakes you've made along the way the things you regret and you know it's it's a lot of stuff totally forgiveness compassion mm -hmm. so we are getting you know towards the end uh, on time here so i'd love to hear what are you currently working on and where can the audience yeah. find you okay so i do have a website um alive thrive.life and that has some um some some of my work on it and I am on the One Great Work Network, and that has a little bit of work on it. I um, am going to be doing a presentation at the upcoming Funnel 2 Convergence Conference, Freedom Under Natural Law. And um, we're calling it the Convergence uh, because we are um, really recognizing that we need to come together. Mm -hmm to um, create a powerful change, you know, through natural law in, in the endeavor of freedom. And our slogan, you know, our qualities that we're really highlighting are unity, focus, and action. Love it. And my, my uh, presentation is called Real Happiness, What It Is and Why It's So Important to Cultivate as We Do the One Great Work. And kind of, I'm excited about, uh, you know, that, that presentation coming out so. of course. no I'm, I'm excited too that's where i first uh saw your work was on the presentation you did i believe it was on seed four with nathan or it was the funnel funnel Brandon? um the first funnel in february oh, was it? it was um the, yeah okay. the corruption of care okay yeah, yeah and i was just blown away by that especially being that was your first mm -hmm. presentation right um Pretty much. I think I had just done some interviews and, and things, yeah. but yeah. Did an amazing job. I mean, just delivered it so succinctly in a way that was very easy to understand and relatable <clears throat> and, you know, excellent points and everything like that. Amazing job. So Thank I'm really looking forward to seeing your, your next one. Thank you. I really appreciate it appreciate the feedback because I think we're all our own worst critics and, you know, oh, yeah, our own ways. For sure. Yeah. 
So everyone check her out. I'll put the links down in the description below. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, again, please give the video a quick like. It's free and it helps the channel out a lot and gets this video to be seen by more people. So thanks again for watching. I hope you enjoyed and we'll see you in the next episode. And until then, be empowered, be inspired, and be encouraged.